Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1F1 podcast, a show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and re-relay that back to you for your listening or viewing pleasure, depending on which platform you choose to follow us on. And this week's episode of the DNF1F1 podcast, we are going to conduct a bit of a news roundup. Now, this is something we haven't done very often this season. Of course, we've had a lot of races come thick and fast and so many talking points in this championship already. But as of course, as we well know, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. So in this episode, we're going to have a little bit of a rundown of some of the big talking points going on at the moment. And of course, let us know what you think of those and please feel free to weigh in. Now, of course, joining me on this episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, as always, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing, first of all? You know what? I'm doing great. The season started well, got a close championship battle. And on a personal level, the country's reopening. So things are going really well. And there's certainly a buzz around the UK at the moment. Certainly is, of course. And of always uh, joining us on this episode, a familiar face of the DNF1 family, it's Lee Wallington. Lee, how are you doing this evening? You okay? I'm okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Um, I'm all right. I just uh, wish it stopped raining or it has stopped now, but I want the sun already. Where's summer? <laughs> yeah, the weather's terrible. It's definitely, we want the beer garden weather, but it isn't quite showing its face. Although maybe it's waiting for everything to sort of be opened up a bit more. Not that, you know, you can't already have a drink in a pub outside. You can, but they obviously need the weather to accompany that because it's still a little bit too cold and a bit it's miserable. just the rain. <laughs> it is more than anything else. But then it's Britain. What do you expect? Yeah. You know, that's the British summer for you. Anyway, as much as we love to talk about the weather, us Brits, we better start talking about Formula One before people tune off. Speaking of which, of course, just a quick thank you to everybody who has liked our videos and subscribed to the channel. We reached another little milestone. We're past 300 subscribers, which is great stuff for us and we're really grateful to everybody that has subscribed to the dnf1 channel if you haven't already and you do enjoy our content please 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 consider subscribing to the channel the more of you that subscribe and join our dnf1 family the more content that we can make for you lovely lots so please please smash that subscribe button and help us get to a thousand as soon as we can plug in aside let's get to the news roundup now there's so many big talking points this in this past week alone but we're going to start with the champ himself, Lewis Hamilton. Now, of course, if you cast your mind back a few months ago, even before testing, about a week or so before testing, 
he'd never actually had a contract signed to confirm that he was going to be driving for Mercedes this season, let alone beyond that. Subsequently, he signed a one-year deal with Mercedes to keep things ticking over. So it kind of gave us the impression that Lewis did have plans to stay on beyond the end of the season. But of course, there was always that should have doubt that there may come a time where Lewis may say, you know what, I've had my fun. I've had enough. I want to go off and focus on other projects outside of Formula One. As horrible as that may seem to a lot of fans and probably good news to many other fans, I'm pretty sure, for whatever reason they have. That being said... Some rumours have been coming out in the news this past week following the Spanish Grand Prix that Lewis Hamilton wants to sit down in the summer break and discuss the potential of signing a two-year contract in the summer break, which will take him up to the end of the 2023 season. So first things first, guys, Courtney, upon hearing these rumours starting to build up and the indication that Mercedes do want to keep Lewis on as their number one, I mean, that's got to be fantastic news for the sport and also for Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes fans alike. Well, yeah, I mean, as you've already said, though, um, I think there'll be some fans out there will be slightly disappointed given how much as Lewis has dominated. But to be honest, I'm not entirely surprised by this news given the fact that Lewis has been very vocal in how much he's enjoying the new challenge, the new lease of life he's been given by this championship battle with Verstappen. You know, so he's got... Verstappen, he could be coming up against in the future. Charles Leclerc, if Ferrari turn it around next season, he's going to be... So, Lewis does relish these kind of challenges. And these big regulation changes coming, that alone is a new challenge for him. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And, yeah, I reckon reckon he'll be around for another two um, two or three seasons. Yeah, of course, we shouldn't forget how important and significant Lewis is to Formula 1. I mean, by far the biggest star in the sport. You probably could argue one of the biggest of all time, almost a celebrity within a sport of stars that you don't necessarily pay much attention to if you're you're not a fan of the sport. But in Lewis's case, there's a huge exception to that. Um, Lee, I've got to ask, even though we're entering a new era of regulations and perhaps maybe an appropriate time to herald in a new generation of stars, I imagine it probably doesn't seem right to go into such a huge change that we're coming to in 2022 without the seven, potentially eight-time world champion being a part of it. Yeah, uh, well, uh, as I've touched on in previous time you've had me on that, Lewis loves other changes. Courtney, you also mentioned. And uh, Lewis, I think he be- he done the recent Pirelli tests um, a week or so ago. I can't remember the exact date for the new tyres. And you think, when did Lewis to actually do a tyre test. He doesn't like testing. He likes to get in the car and race. Um, so it shows you his intention is there to be there and the, to the up-and-coming contract discussions that's going on. And then, and Toto has mentioned, oh, he could be around for a while, even into his 40s, which will probably send a um, nightmare to Max having Lewis around for, potentially, if he stayed into his 40s. Um, I mean, he's the worst nightmare. Yeah, absolutely right. And let's not forget Lewis Hamilton, obviously statistically already the greatest driver of all time. And he's only going to continue to add to those records. He's two wins away from the Magic 100. Of course, if he wins the championship this season, he will be out on his own ahead of Michael Schumacher as the most successful world champion there is. Not many records left for Lewis Hamilton to achieve that he hasn't already done so. So the motivation has to be there to continue driving. And as you've both 
rightly pointed out, it may come solely from the promise of competition, this new era that it will be hopefully heralding with the other stars to try and face a new challenge in any shape or way that comes. And of course, there's no guarantee that Mercedes will have the best car starting next season. What a prospect that would be if we see Lewis having to really compete with a car much inferior to whatever the leading car is going to be. I mean, let's be honest. We've seen some of the best driving from Lewis Hamilton in previous seasons where his back has been up against it with a new challenge. And at 36 years of age, some may say you might be coming to that period where his levels are dropping. But I'll be honest with you guys, if that's the case, I'm not seeing it. And if it is, Lewis Hamilton's peak is extremely high enough. I mean, I saw a really good analysis from Anthony Davidson following the Spanish Grand Prix, and he made a very good observation where he felt that the battle between Lewis and Max is so much more than the reigning champion versus the up-and-coming star. It was almost like we're seeing Lewis Hamilton now versus a version of Lewis Hamilton when he first was in the sport where he was very aggressive, going for moves that may end up in a collision. But on top of that, lacking the maturity and the discipline and patience that the Lewis Hamilton of today is so, so well known for and is so brilliant for. Um, I mean, Courtney, what would you make of comments like that? Do you feel that Max Verstappen is like a Lewis Hamilton that joined the sport in back in 2000 or maybe a few years after that in 2012 against the Lewis Hamilton we're seeing today? Yeah, well, I think with, with Max, he certainly has like the, the raw speed. Um, you, see, you see it at the start, we've seen it in Imola, we saw it in Spain, how Max isn't afraid to get his elbows out, but coming up against someone like Lewis, he knows they can race on that level. I don't think Max would be like that with other drivers. But I think another thing worth bearing in mind with Lewis, and it's something me and you discussed at the previously about a year or so ago, I think the training regimes that he's turned to and the fact that he's become vegan. Now, I'm not going to be vegan anytime soon, so I'm not going on one of those kind of tangents. But I do think the changes in diet and, tra- and um, in his training have certainly helped him extend his career. Yeah, very absolutely right. I mean, th- let's be honest, these Formula One cars, as difficult as they are to drive, you know, th- let's not dispute that. They're certainly not as... One would say complicated, but they don't require the brute strength and forces that perhaps the older ones warranted. We really had to throw them about. That being said, um, you still have to require, uh, it still requires a lot of training, a lot of strength, a lot of stamina and all of those things. And, you know, at Lewis's age, obviously it's going to be a bit harder for him perhaps than it would be compared to someone like Max, who's in his mid to early 20s. But that being said, it doesn't seem to deter Lewis at all. So, of course, if you are championing something like a vegan diet and the training region that Lewis has, where he's very much a guy that works hard, but also knows how to relax, that's probably something that he's taken into his more golden years, if you like, and it's paying off for him. Um, Lee, I mean, we mentioned Fernando Alonso before, and obviously there's a fear that perhaps Fernando is not driving to the level that he was known for or was at his peak. But he's only a few years older than Lewis Hamilton. So why would you, if you can come up with a reason, why would you think that Fernando is struggling to reach his peak, whereas Lewis is only a few years younger than him, is still perhaps getting better with age? Um, I, I think the issue with Fernando maybe having is you being out of the car for a couple of years, the cars change, the handling changes, obviously the 
the buttons they have on their steering wheel, the engine modes, everything changes even in that short space of time. Um, you just have to look at uh, Esteban Ocon when he came back from his one year out. He was, people talking about how slow he was against um, Daniel Ricciardo. And, and now you look at Ocon and he's, at the moment, he's smashing Fernando. Um, so it does take time to get up um, to that level again. And you look back to when Michael Schumacher returned to Formula One. Fernando isn't doing those kind of mistakes that Michael was doing because the cars have changed so much in those four or five years until Michael returned. And Fernando's only been out for two, where Lewis is only a few years younger. But he, he's not, well, at the moment, there's obviously no, no indication that he's going to step away from the sport. He's not going to take a, a couple of gap years. So he, he's, he's keeping up and um, chained with the changing cars as year on year. Hmm. And there's almost a sense with like those other drivers who were significantly older. I mean, let's not forget, by the time Fernando's contract finishes in 2022, the end of that season, assuming he doesn't sign another one, he'll still be younger than Michael Schumacher was when he actually returned to Mercedes in 2010. So there is definitely a correlation there between age and obviously ability behind the wheel, but perhaps that's exacerbated even more by the fact that they both took time out of the sport before eventually returning to a new era it's not like they're returning to the cars that they left you know things have changed in formula one as they often do quite quickly um in lewis's case he seems to embrace these challenges and get better each time and we'll have to wait and see if he does sign a new deal beyond this season whether that remains the case um with the new cars we may see lewis's performance dip but it's certainly an exciting prospect and i think a lot of us would agree that it would be great to see the champ in one of those cars next season duking it out with so many people on what could potentially be an equal playing field perhaps the most equal we've ever seen in Formula One so we'll have to wait and see how that story develops and of course if Lewis does sign a new deal I'll certainly be looking forward to seeing how he gets on and of course how much more can he achieve in this sport it's um, unprecedented I don't think we're ever going to see anything like this again I mean I, I said that with Schumacher but you know Hamilton come along so who knows what do I know but um, let's move on to the next story, of course. Guys, let us know what you think in the comments below regarding Lewis Hamilton. Do you want him to stay in the sport beyond 2021? Do you not? Let us know why. And of course, if he does stay, will you be excited to see how he gets on? And how do you think he'll deal with the new cars? So much to look forward to and talk about. But let's talk about the second seat at Mercedes. Now, for a while now, we've felt that Valtteri Bottas's time in that Mercedes number two seat is starting to come to an end. Will it come to an end at the end of this season? Most people believe that it will. If it does, the question remains, who's going to replace him? Now, for a long time, the obvious answer seemed to be George Russell. However, the last couple of months, this season in particular, we've started to see signs that perhaps Mercedes are considering other options. It seemed for all the world that after the Sakir Grand Prix that George was destined to be in that Mercedes alongside Lewis Hamilton in this case, which I believe was perhaps what Mercedes would want, but they seem to be exploring other options. Now, Total Wolf gave an interview to the Italian version of motorsport.com the other day. So I'm going to read a few quotes from this interview. And on the Bottas Russell development, he mentioned that Valtteri is uh, our driver and that he's always loyal to the drivers, but we have the duty to evaluate the future and have long-term plans for the team, especially since we have two junior drivers, make that two, Esteban, Ocon, and George, George Russell. We have to evaluate everything. Now, 
guys, uh, uh, when I first read this comment, I was very surprised because I had no idea Esteban Ocon was still a part of the Mercedes program, may not necessarily legally be a part of the team, but clearly he is in the plans and the mindset of Toto Wolff when making his decision. And I guess given what we've seen the last couple of weeks with Williams and with George Russell in particular, especially at the Imola Grand Prix with that collision with Valtteri Bottas, Lee, do you feel that there's now a real seed of doubt in Toto Wolff's mind that perhaps George Russell is not doing enough to convince him that he is an appropriate replacement for Valtteri Bottas for next season? Oh, I, I think there, there probably is a seed of doubt um, that George's may not be the, the, the best viable option. You, you, Fernando is a known quantity, right? He's not, he may not be a skill set, but he's been around and they know what Fernando can achieve in a car. And as I said a few minutes ago, Esteban is taking it to Fernando so far this season. Right? Fernando may improve as the season goes on, but so far, Esteban has got the measure of Fernando. And he could have been looking at George last year going, oh, that's secure. That was really good. But now he's like, oh, Esteban. Ooh, oh, he's really beating Fernando. And you're only as good as your last race. So um, Esteban is doing it at the right time. And I mean, I'm, unfortunately for George, Williams is at the wrong end of the grid. All right, Alpine isn't fighting for, on the verge for the top of midfield, depending on the track and especially their recent form. Um, so it's the best time for Esteban to be doing these performances and showing up Fernando and George can be Mr Saturday all he wants but he doesn't get the chance to do Sunday performance where it counts I mean for all we know this could be just smoke and mirrors with Total Wolf obviously you know looking after Esteban Ocon but perhaps with his future with Alpine uncertain at this time this may be just um, a way for Toto to try and force Alpine to tie Esteban down to a longer deal to keep him in Formula One. Of course, we've said for a while that Alpine have been looking at Pierre Gasly as a potential replacement for Ocon. Alonso has a two-year deal, which would be rather expensive to buy him out of that at the end of this season for a year. I'm pretty sure it would be. And Fernando isn't going to want to give up that seat uh, without being bought out of it. And even then it might not be enough. So, you know, th- this could all be just a ploy for Total Wolf to keep one of the drivers he used to look after in Formula One. Who and, and let's be honest, Esteban Ocon this season, despite what we thought last season, has been incredibly impressive. One of the drivers of the season. And as you said, Lee, he's emphatically been dominating Fernando Alonso, particularly in the races. Um, I think in qualifying, is he is he 4-0 or is it 3-1 to Esteban this season? I can't quite remember. Uh, I can't remember, I'm afraid. I mean, let us know in the comments, guys. I'm, but he's he's ahead of Fernando in qualifying as well, as well as the race. So, you know, all the signs are there that Esteban definitely should be in Formula One. He's making a very good case to stay in Alpine. But perhaps the Mercedes links, as I said, I've already marked them down as perhaps smoke and mirrors or a negotiation tactic. But there might be some truth into this. I mean, Esteban was linked with Mercedes for a long time. He was next in line to take over from Bottas or Hamilton. Of course, things happened at Force India, Racing Point, obviously when that happened when they went into administration. And of course, he lost his seat to, at Renault when Ricardo made that shock switch in 2018. So, you know, now that he's come back and shown a brilliant level of performance this season, all of a sudden, he may end up in that Mercedes seat. And as you pointed out, Lee, it's so difficult to judge George Russell's performance in the Williams against a guy who is regularly competing in the points and qualifying 
in the top five in the last couple of races. Um, Courtney, I'm going to bring you into this discussion as well, because I've said quite a lot on this already. But do you feel that there's merit to judge Esteban Ocon uh, with a more likely chance of getting that seat at Mercedes and George Russell by virtue of the fact that George is in a much less competitive car than Esteban? Or do you feel that Total Wolf kind of has to give some allowances to George Russell because of the performance deficit that he currently faces compared to Esteban Ocon in an Alpine? Well, I think the the previous links that Ocon has with Mercedes and even Total Wolf on a personal level certainly does give him more of a chance compared to other drivers. Because look, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter which driver you are, which team you drive for. If you're performing well, you're going to be catching the attention of the bigger teams looking on to next season. And I think it's pretty out there that Bottas is likely to be replaced. So Mercedes will be keeping their options open. And yeah, if Ocon carries on the way he's going, he will certainly be an option. But I think one thing that really needs to be stressed here, I think it's time for George Russell to get out of Williams. He's done everything that he can for that team. They don't seem to be developing at the rate that George needs. You know, we all know how brutal Formula One can be. Drivers can be forgotten so quickly. So if Russell continues to be in a car where he can't really showcase his talent, he could start becoming almost forgotten and lose his real chance to compete with a top team. So he really needs to be... I think I think George needs to sort of put himself out there. You know what? I want to leave Williams. And if it's not with Mercedes, it could be someone else. Because I remember there were rumours last season that even Red Bull would check, like, seeing them, the situation. Because Perez hasn't started well. I do expect Perez to stay at Red Bull. But if for whatever reason Perez was to leave, maybe Russell could, could kind of put his name out there for other teams such as Red Bull. So I think next season needs to be the season where George does move on, whether it is with Mercedes or someone else. Yeah, I, I mean, you're right to bring Red Bull into this because, of course... In my opinion, if Perez wasn't able to make the cut and they got rid of him, which I don't think is going to happen, then I would suspect they'd look towards Alex Albon if they felt he was ready to come back or maybe someone from outside the Red Bull program. Because right now, Gasly, they don't want Gasly in that car. They don't want Gasly in the Alpha Tower, let alone the Red Bull. And Yuki Tsunoda already hasn't exactly demonstrated, other than in Bahrain, that he'd be quick enough to be in that Red Bull seat. So he's certainly, that's a, it's going to be a while before Yuki would be in contention for that. Um, I suppose we should be asking the question, you know, because we've assumed that George Russell is the natural successor for Mercedes, the natural successor to Lewis Hamilton. But in your opinions, guys, do you feel that George Russell at this point has done enough to convince Mercedes that he should be in that seat alongside Lewis Hamilton? Um, Lee, I'll ask you that one first. Um, I, I think he's he's done enough to be at least be considered, which um, he probably is one of Toto's options. And unlike all, oh, look at Esteban and what he's doing against Fernando. George has been in the car last year. George has worked in the team. We know what he's done in qualifying. We know what he's done in the race. Uh, it was only sheer bad luck that George didn't win in the Secure Grand Prix. Um, so. He's a known quantity to Mercedes more than Esteban. So I think he he's done enough to at least be be given the opportunity. And uh, how about you, Cole? Yeah, I think the situation with George is, is that his frustrations over this whole situation are starting to show on track. I'm not saying that's that that's correct from his perspective that that's even happening. 
because obviously you should be holding your emotions back, particularly you know when you're in an elite sport like Formula One. But again, as I've already said, he has to be looking to move on. And I, I still do believe it'd be Mercedes, you know, as you've already said, Lee, he has experience in the team. And I mean, look at that impact he made. Like, I know Sakir has spoken about like a lot, he's thrown out there a lot, but it's, we can't forget how much of an impact he made in such a short space of time. So I still think he'll be probably the first choice if Bottas wants to go. But yeah, as, as I said already, I think if he doesn't go to Mercedes, he needs to move on for his sake because we can't forget how much of a good driver George Russell is. And it's so easy to forget that when you're driving for a team that isn't performing well enough. Absolutely. But uh, unfortunately for George, he's kind of in that perilous position where he's only really been able to demonstrate his ability in one race in his Formula 1 career, and that was in Sakir. And of course, he should have won that race. If we weren't for the issues Mercedes had, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. George would probably be already signed up, maybe, and that, you know, he's already demonstrated that. But unfortunately, one race, you know, it's like Alex Albon last season. He had one great race at um, Abu Dhabi at the end of the season but it doesn't make up for several performances where he was below par. And who's to say that George may have been in the Mercedes a full season and had a similar season. You, you, you can't tell. One thing Mercedes do have is evidence from other drivers that they're looking at. Another driver we should throw into this discussion as well is Lando Norris. Now it's obvious that Mercedes want a successor to Lewis Hamilton. That's a young driver that isn't currently in a race winning car. So we can forget Max Verstappen at this point in time I think he's tied to Red Bull for the foreseeable future maybe in the future four or five years down the line it might be an option but we'll have to wait and see how that goes so right now Lando Norris is potentially a realistic candidate now before we started recording Lee you pointed out to me uh, in 2019 that he was signed up to Mercedes management Um, not necessarily in the same breath as George Russell and Esteban Ocon were in this case but Mercedes were keeping tabs on him nonetheless. And of course, this engine deal that McLaren have with Mercedes does create an extra avenue to perhaps make the transition from McLaren to Mercedes a lot smoother than perhaps it would be if Mercedes were signing him from another random team on the grid. With that all being said, and given the amazing starts of the season that Lando Norris has made, do you feel that he could potentially be the natural successor at Mercedes, not just for Bottas, but for Lewis Hamilton in the future. And Courtney, I'll ask you that one first. Yeah, why not? He's already showing he has the pedigree to do it. You know, season after season, he's making good strides. Um, I think even from a marketing perspective, I'm I'm sure it's been noticed how popular Lando is. So if you if you put the two things together, a fast driver is also popular. You know, that's the, you've got all the hallmarks of a future star there. So there's no reason for Lando not to be an option, but I still believe it will be George. But in the coming years, could you imagine if you had the Lando-Norris-George Russell partnership? I think the Brits would love that. Well, it's certainly be in good hands in the future, absolutely. I'm sure Sky Sports and BBC and Channel 4, they'll be all over that story as the rest of us would be, and that would be fun to watch. Um, Lee, I've got to ask the same question to you as well. Do you feel that there is a realistic chance that perhaps Lando Norris could end up in that seat. Um, I, I don't. I, I think his talent could merit being looked at that seat, but I don't think realistically he will be the first of the to be there. He's had a great start to the season, um, but as Toto Wolff has said, is he has loyalty to his drivers, and 
uh, Esteban, or Esteban, Esteban. Um, I didn't know he was still a junior driver, but Toto has considered him still to be one of Mercedes drivers. And George, I would think, would also would be considered higher up as a junior driver than Lando. But he, Lando could definitely be the wild card. I and mean, you know what wild cards happen. That Sergio Perez was a wild card for Red Bull. Uh, you wouldn't have said this time last year, or we were, merely we weren't racing this time last year, but um, you wouldn't have said Sergio would be racing for Red Bull next year. Um, you wouldn't even put it as a wild card options, and Sergio's got um, Red Bull, so never say never in their form, world of Formula One. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let's not forget that, you know, you're right to point out Perez, but Lando, obviously, at the moment, is performing the best of the British drivers and, of course, the drivers that we've mentioned so far. Uh, excluded Valtteri Bottas is getting you know the best results and you could also argue that he does have the best car underneath him so it's obviously a bit easier for him to perform as well as he is doing compared to someone like George Russell who's struggling to even get a championship point so there's so many factors to take into consideration and of course as I said whilst Lando's performing well we can't discount George for obvious reasons but Lando is regularly demonstrating that he's able to get good results in a good car, as is Ocon of late. George, unfortunately, whilst being handicapped with the Williams, with all due respect to them, there's no evidence to suggest that he can actually do that job better than the other two. So it's a real hard decision for Total Wolf. And I think we shouldn't forget either that whilst I genuinely believe that Toto is very loyal to his drivers and looks after them, the Mercedes Academy hasn't exactly brought too many drivers into their top team. I mean, yes, you could argue that Lewis Hamilton technically is a Mercedes driver from their ranks, but that was more down to Ron Dennis and McLaren getting him involved rather than Mercedes himself, even though he was part of the Mercedes program and Valtteri Bottas as well, technically speaking, who he was looked after by Toto's wife, Susie Wolf, you know, at Williams and obviously got him in that seat Mercedes. But other than those two circumstances, you can see Ferrari have obviously been promoting drivers into their team. They've got Charles Leclerc into their team, obviously doing work with Mick Schumacher and Giovinazzi. Red Bull obviously have a huge history of having a conveyor belt of, of drivers going into their teams for the last 20 years. So for Mercedes, my point is, is that it's not uncommon for them to rather look outside their academy rather than focus on promoting drivers within. I suppose the big problem for that is because they don't really have a halfway house team anymore, do they? I mean, you could argue Racing Point were that, but I don't think Aston Martin are going to be that anymore. And naturally, you'd want George to probably jump in that car if there was a seat there. But I can't see that happening, to be honest. But uh, I digress. I was going to wait for one of you guys to just jump oh, in there. But <laughs> so it's not often that I go quiet to give you guys the floor without announcing it. But I just think of course I've got there. You know, this will get a lot easier when we're in person doing this together. This will get a whole lot easier. Otherwise, this is going to be of me course. looking at you guys going, you know, just it, it's, you know, whenever you're ready, guys, jump in. But um, I digress. But guys, let us know who you think is going to be in that Mercedes seat next year. You know, let's not forget Valtteri Bottas is an option and has been the favourable option the last four or five years. But, you know, you get the same thing with Valtteri Bottas, who's not necessarily bad, but Mercedes now probably have to look long term rather than, you know, a driver that's going to back up Lewis because they need to think beyond that. So 
We'll have to wait and see. But let us know who you think, guys. Will it be Valtteri keeping his seat for another year? Will it be George Russell, as many of us hope it will be? Or perhaps someone like Ocon or even Lando Norris or another driver? Put, you know, put another driver in there below. I will not be taking anyone that puts Maldonado or Ranganathan seriously. I certainly won't be taking anyone that puts Mazabin seriously. This ain't drift racing. So I think we can ignore that. But get your names in below. Let us know who you think is going to be in that Mercedes seat. Who do you want to be in that Mercedes seat would be a nice change of pace as well. Adam, just want to add, where you mentioned Pastor Maldonado, he has got the 100% pole to win um, ratio. I mean, not many drivers can boast that record. No. That, I mean, and it's eight years to the day, I believe, that old, the GOAT himself won the Spanish Grand Prix, if I'm if memory serves, I think today or yesterday. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, quite apt that you were brought brought that up um so actually knew subconsciously like <laughs> he always gets a mention in these episodes Pastor Maldonado, <laughs> through through you know scripted or through virtue he's just he just belongs in the discussion of course pastor does we love him um there will never be anyone like him but uh, let's move on to the next story guys um so there's been talk as well about mclaren and what's been going on with them now um throughout this week McLaren held a secret event where they invited a select group of journalists. Unfortunately, we weren't prestigious enough to be invited or our invitation got lost in the post. You know, make of that what you will. Um, We forgive you, McLaren, so don't worry. Uh, But they made a special announcement to these journalists and media outlets with the, um, you know, with the agreement that they would allow McLaren to make this announcement official on Sunday. So obviously they wanted to create some buzz around what this announcement is going to be, but obviously not let people know what exactly it's going to be until they want to announce it. Um, I'm going to let, you know, open the floor up guys here. What do we think this announcement is going to be? What do we think McLaren have planned? And apparently according to them, it's very, very exciting. I'm going to say Formula A. Uh, that's, that's what my gut is telling me. Um, it makes sense. We've, we've seen um, other manufacturers like Mercedes get involved and, McLaren is certainly a big name in the sports car world, so it would make a lot of sense for them to do that. And it would also encourage more fans of Formula One to join Formula E, because I've no doubt that Mercedes joined joining um, Formula E helped with that. So having teams like McLaren following suit will not only be good for McLaren as a team, but also be good for Formula E. You know, we're looking at motorsport being more environmentally friendly, so having big teams joining Formula E is only a good thing. So it'd make perfect sense for that to happen. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And, you know, I've, I'm sort of in and out with Formula E. Like I'll watch it sometimes. You know, it was a great race at Monaco uh, last weekend with Lucas Degrassi and Mitch Evans having a great battle in that race. If you guys had seen it or if anyone else had seen it, it was a brilliant fight there. Um, and, and, and of course they were racing on the full layout for the first time, which was quite cool to see as well. But, um, you know, with the Gen 3 cars, being unveiled next season. Um, it's not really a long shot that McLaren are probably going to throw their hat into the ring. They've probably been doing a lot of work in the past. There's been rumours and links to McLaren joining Formula E as Mercedes have done in the past. And I'm sure other manufacturers will look to get involved at some point. So there really is a real drive for sustainability in motorsport. And Formula E is definitely one of the leading contenders for that. Um, Lee, you're the resident Formula E fan out of the three of us. If, so, uh, I mean, what do you make of this announcement from McLaren that's coming on Sunday? Do you think it's Formula E? And if it is, uh, uh, how would you think that would go for them? Yeah, my, my, my bet would be it's Formula E. Um, I know they've talked about or 
looking at it and so, so as other manufacturers like Ferrari have looked at it and Ferrari have said it's too early in the championship development to put it to put their hat in the ring but a team like McLaren be willing to get in not that McLaren is less prestigious than Ferrari but just the the youthful energy that uh, they now have under the this management compared to like Ron Dennis where he's clinical um but I think I think it's the, the likelier thing for McLaren to do. But with Formula E, because obviously they they're the maximum of teams that they can have in the sport under the current rules, it'll probably be a joining of resources of an existing team. Um, like they did with the IndyCar and joining with the Arrow squad. So I'm I'm not too sure what team I would say they're joining up because there are a couple of independents that buy powertrains from manufacturers. So it could easily be McLaren join up with an existing team and manufacture their own powertrain um, for that team. Um, so it's that's definitely uh, going to be an interesting announcement to see on Sunday. I mean, does it seem inevitable that Formula E is going to end up becoming a manufacturer team sport? Because, you know, we already had some manufacturer teams. We had Audi in there, for example. Uh, Mercedes have obviously thrown their hat in recently. We have uh, Jaguar as well. Yeah, Renault as well. You know, we had Jaguar as well chucking their name in. Um, You know, it it seems that we're getting a lot more teams that are manufacturer teams. Of course, we had, you know, some other teams like Tachita, Mahindra, um, Virgin were obviously involved for a time. And I I just feel that Formula E is becoming more of a manufacturer uh, sport. I mean, how do you feel about this one, Lee? Do you feel that eventually it's going to become all manufacturers? I mean, you mentioned Ferrari looking at it, but perhaps they're waiting for the technology to become a lot more developed to the point where they don't necessarily have to build Formula E up. They can just come in and add their name to it once it's ready. Yeah, and it's, I think it's going to become a completely manufacturer-dominated because the, the overhead costs of running a car or a team in Formula E is a lot, lot lower than Formula 1. Obviously, there, there's no aero development race because they're standard cars, so that cuts out a massive chunk of development. Um, they have a, a certain amount that the teams, I think it's slightly budget-limited amount what teams can spend on their powertrains. And there, obviously, the, the FRA, now it's an actual FRA championship, has specified what can be developed on the powertrain and what could be opened up in future seasons. So they have a long-term plan for the championship. Um, but it's a fraction of the cost uh, compared to Formula One. And especially, as you said, about sustainability and the manufacturers are now looking at electric cars as being a potential forward for the, the motor um, industry as a whole. They're going to want to develop their powertrains and display their electric um, technology um, to the world, effectively, in free advertising. Right? It doesn't have the same market um, as Formula One does, and the sheer audience doesn't even get close to Formula One, which uh, I think is why I can't remember who suggested it, but maybe um, they said that maybe Formula E should be used as a support race for Formula One to try and rear it off um, Formula One's glove tails, um, which sort of goes against the Formula E mythology of a lot of circuit um, street races compared to circuit based races, but definitely a very much watch the space sport. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And, you know, there are some manufacturers that probably look at Formula E and think, you know, it's not a good time to join it now, but obviously it will get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's always improving all the time. And a lot of high caliber drivers are in that sport. I mean, Mercedes, for example, have Stoffel Van Dorn in there with uh, Pascal 
Verline and sorry, not Pascal, but Nick oh, DeVries. DeVries. Yeah, Nick yeah. DeVries. Um, I mean, Pascal Verline drives for the. Um, oh man, what what team does he drive for, Lee? I, I forget. Is it um, the Mahindra? Yeah, I, I want to say Mahindra, but I don't want to come across as an absolute noob and forget because I know he's in that sort of team. But isn't um, isn't Felipe Massa in it? He was driving for Venturi last season. I can't yeah. remember yeah. if he's still involved. I know he's in it at one point. Uh, um... I actually can't call. Yeah, it changes so much all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you've got Lucas Degrassi, um, you know, defending champion as well. And obviously, John Eric Verne doing great things in the sport as well. A, a lot of former Formula One drivers, very talented drivers in that sport. So it's only going to get bigger and bigger. And maybe we will see Ferrari in there and perhaps a few other manufacturers join that sport sooner rather than later. I mean, Ferrari are concentrating on their hypercar entry into the World Endurance Championship, which we may see some Formula One drivers be involved in that, maybe at Le Mans as well. So we have to wait and see. But of course, guys, we're talking about McLaren in this regard. So we'll have to wait and see on Sunday what they announce. Let us know what you think is going to be. Do you think it's going to be Formula E or perhaps do you think they're going to be doing something else? I I can't think off the top of my head what else it could be. But we'll have to wait and see what's been going on. But watch this space with McLaren. Um, Last thing I think we should talk about is the rumours now starting to intensify regarding the Turkish Grand Prix future. Now, on Twitter, we said, uh, I think it was the other week, we mentioned that because the UK had added Turkey to the red list for travel, in, in other words, you can't travel there and travel can't come here, it did cast a huge doubt over whether or not the Turkish Grand Prix was going to be able to take place on the 13th of June that weekend, which originally was meant to be the Canadian Grand Prix. So obviously the sub, for that one is now having its own problems. The reason why this is an issue, guys, is because nine of the 10 teams have a base in the UK, which of course means that they will not be able to travel to Turkey from the UK. The only team that would is Ferrari. So if they do have a Turkish Grand Prix, it looks like Ferrari will, will win a race this season. Um, almost like Indianapolis 20, 2005. You get rid of the competition, Ferrari will win a race. Um But yeah, of course, at this point, it does seem extremely likely that we're not going to have a Turkish Grand Prix, unfortunately, which is a shame because it produced a brilliant race last season. Of course, the venue where Lewis Hamilton confirmed his seventh world championship. Um, But that being said, there are a few circuits that are being lined up to replace it. Stefano Domenicali, the new CEO at Formula One, has mentioned that uh, in a state, well, statement the other day, he did say that it's likely that the plan B or plan C, if you like, almost has as many plans as the Ferrari race engine is these days. Um, It seems that we're going to be going to perhaps a circuit that is owned by a current team. So on the list, we've got Austria, Mugello, possibly Hockenheim as well. Um, Guys, I'm going to come to you on this one. Lee, you know, first of all, what are your thoughts regarding the potential for the Turkish Grand Prix being cancelled? And which circuit would you like to see be added to the Canada in its place? Yeah. Well, I think it's probably going to be likely, unfortunately, that the Turkish Grand Prix is going to be cancelled because um, otherwise no, no um, team will want to pay for the hotel quarantine return to the UK and no engineer wants to be on the road for two weeks because they can't return to the UK while they ride out um, effectively the two-week period of their last entry in Turkey. Um so I, I just don't think that's going to ha- happen just for um, the teams. And, um, but you've, as manufacturers, you did. Um, I know it's not in Europe, but Suzuka is still owned by Honda and Honda are 
<laughs> still in the, the sport. Not that they're going to fly to Japan as much as Honda would love to probably have to do races in Suzuka. Um, but I, I personally would like um, Hockenheim more than Marinello. Um, I just think Hockenheim is a better track, personally. Um, yeah. But I, I think it's probably going to be more of a, a rearrangement or and maybe there'll be a, a back-to-back, as you um, said before. The out that we started recording is the... Uh, um, Was that Austria? Austria, yeah. 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 That's yeah. another alternative. I, I just, personally, I'm not a fan of Marinello compared to um, Hockenheim. Yeah, I mean, the Mugello race was, it was cool to watch in qualifying, but the race itself, you know, it had its moments, but it was a very hard track to pass on and that's not going to change uh, this season. It was certainly remembered for certain shock moments like that huge crash behind the safety car, um, Ferrari's 1000th race and the livery they brought to that event. And of course, Alex Albon's first podium for Red Bull. We shouldn't forget that as well, because that was a pretty, pretty big day for him. But you're right, Lee, I would love to see Hockenheim back on the calendar you know it's a shame it wasn't on last year's calendar although we did get a race at the Nürburgring for the Eiffel Grand Prix which is pretty cool um but you know it would be nice to see it there I- I'm with you on this one as I said earlier I feel that it, we could end up with a double header in Austria which to facilitate that all we'd have to do is you leave that slot empty where Turkey w- would have been um and then obviously you go from Azerbaijan to the French Grand Prix a couple of weeks after that and then you'll just have a double header back-to-back in Austria. So you'd have Austria and then perhaps another Styrian Grand Prix like we got last season and then go to Silverstone a week after that one. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, some people have been saying Austria does seem like the likely candidate. I think if they have another race added in there, the teams might prefer logistically to not have to travel too far. But that being said, that doesn't exactly rule out Hockenheim either because they're not too far from Geneva. So we're obviously, you know, and Vienna, sorry, I should say, not Geneva. Um where the race is held there. So it wouldn't be too far at all. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. I'm sure either solution would be good. Let us know in the comments below, guys, which race you'd prefer to have added instead of Turkey. Um, Courtney, we should get your thoughts on this one as well quickly. Uh, personally, I'd be against double header. I think one of the reasons why it worked last season was because we were just happy to see some kind of racing and for us to see a full season. This season, we have potentially 23 races. So I just feel if we're going to have a slot empty, I think it'd be better if we go somewhere else, just given the circumstances that we're in right now. Yeah, no, that absolutely makes sense. And, you know, to try and keep the calendar going as good as possible. I mean, we knew we were going to have obstacles this year. I I think nobody expected us to have the full calendar as we expected it to be. And this is all happening in Europe. You know, some of the races outside of Europe, that have had issues with COVID are still having these issues. So whilst we had a very much a European dominated Canada last season, there's no reason why that won't happen again this season, but hopefully fingers crossed, we won't have too many more interruptions to the Canada other than this one that we're facing at the moment. And perhaps obviously a few of the races in the American region towards the end of the season, but let's hope that things go according to plan. I'm sure they know what they're doing at F1. They did a great job last season. So there's no reason why they won't be able to sort this out for this year as well. One more thing that we should talk about before we round this all off. Everybody's favourite topic, track limits. Now, this season, I it's mad to think that on a race-by-race basis, one of the biggest talking points at every venue we've been to this season has been track limits, whether it was Bahrain, where we had Max Verstappen having to give up the win 
over to Lewis Hamilton or potentially give up the win because of overtaking him at turn four outside track limits. We also had that same debate with Lewis Hamilton during the race, which of course we saw was illegal. We had track limits being changed around at Imola, at Agua Mineral, those corners there. We also had track limit stuff going on in the Portimao race where Max Verstappen lost his fastest lap. And of course, the many times deleted in FP1 and FP2, it was like over 100. It was absolutely crazy. And of course, you know, we had the same thing going on in Spain as well. So Formula One have kind of heard out the fans on this one because I think we're all sick to death of talking about track limits. We're all sick to death of moaning about track limits. I think we're sick to death of hearing drivers complain about track limits, whether they're finding them too harsh or not finding them harsh enough. F1 have responded and they are now setting up a working group to try and determine a pretty much straight line standard rule on track limits. Now, I'm going to be honest, guys. I don't see why this is such a big debate. I mean, call me old fashioned, but I just feel the track limits should be defined by the white lines around the circuit. And that if you have all four wheels off the circuit or off the, outside the white line, your lap time gets deleted or you get a warning in the race, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, Lee, I've got to, I'm going to ask you first because I can see you nodding your head as I'm yeah. ranting about this, but I'm, I'm guessing you harbour similar feelings to me on this one. But if you were part of this working group, how would you determine what track limits or how would you define what track limits is? Um, I, I, I completely agree um, that it should just be the white lines. In the current rules, they say the track limits are the white lines. You don't see in other sports that have lines demarking the area of playing. Like, you can use football here. If the ball goes over the white lines at the end of the field, it's out of play. You can't, oh, I've got my foot in on within the field. I can dribble outside um, the field. No, you're off the pitch. It, does, it doesn't work. It's the same in basketball. It'll be the same in cricket and in baseball. It, it's just doesn't work when you keep changing the limitations of what's acceptable. Because obviously some tracks, it's like, Oh, you can go to the white lines here. You can't go to the white lines there. Oh, you can use the curb here. You can't use the curb there. Oh, you can't go beyond that curb here, but you can go beyond that. And it's frustrating for the drivers to learn all the rules because they just want to go the faster they can. And it's frustrating for the fans because they don't always understand when the drivers lose their lap times, they get deleted or have to hand back places. And it's just extra hassle. You just keep the rules. You define it, keep it the same everywhere. And you have the lines. And I don't, I do agree. I don't see why it's so hard for the um, Formula One to just go, okay, this makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's nuts because as far as I see it, you know, you use other sports as an example, but I think what's annoyed people and what's annoyed me as well as a fan of this is that you watch race weekends and you're explained, you're explained to about track limits. You're told where the limits are and you're like, okay, that's fine. I've got no problem that you're literally designating where the track limits are. That's what we're going to keep an eye out for this weekend. But the problem is, is that they'll mark out track limits for qualifying or for practice, but then they'll change throughout yeah, the race. It's like we, we had this in Bahrain where turn four, you weren't allowed to go beyond the white line or have all four wheels off the white line and your lap time be deleted. But then in the race, we had like you could go outside the white lines on a normal lap, like as Lewis Hamilton did like for half the laps of the race. And Max Verstappen obviously forgot because all the drivers are made aware. But then as soon as Max goes around the outside to overtake, it's illegal. Now, whilst I agree with that, I don't understand why we're changing the rules from one day to another and we're not just keeping it consistent. And I think that's annoyed fans more 
then the actual where do you define track limits um Courtney I I see you you know you're nodding your head at this I've got to bring you into this one I mean where do you stand on this track limits debate and also where would you like to define it if you were part of this working group well it needs to be black and white as a purview of already stated because what we're starting to see in Formula One is something that we always that we're already suffering with greatly in football with VAR. You know, it's it's all well and good having a debate, but look, like if you're going into every single race talking about track limits, it does start becoming a bit tedious. You want to be talking about the actual racing. You know, we've seen it in football where you'll have like some great games ruined or the story be completely taken over by, by a VAR incident, even though the rules are still set in stone and it's just it just it comes down to human error really and from not from not only VAR perspective but then also the track limits if you just set it out you know white is white black is black then that's it that that's the way it should be if you just keep on creating these grey areas it just it just creates a bit of a volatile situation up within the teams because at the end of the day they want to be number one so they're going to do whatever it takes to win you need to set out the rules for the sake of the teams and for the fans as well. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, as you said, in other sports, you don't just change the rules to suit a particular narrative or depending on where you are. I mean, in football, you know, it is as clear as day. You've got, you know, if you foul someone, it's a free kick. If you handball, it's a handball. If you trip over a Man United player, it's a penalty. Um, you know, all of that stuff is consistent across the board. It, whether you like it or not, you know, it, Courtney enjoys what I did there. Um <laughs> It's always an old joke, but it's still relevant every single time. And uh, if we had as many penalties in football as we did in Formula One, I'm sure Bruno Fernandes would fancy a career in that sport. Um, (laughs) But that being said, you you can tell I'm an Arsenal fan. Um, Yeah, but that being said, um, you know, Formula One, I don't understand the inconsistencies. It's not a new thing. They've had this for so long. I just think in the last couple of years, because the track limits have been defined for everyone. They've had the safety car driving around and they highlight in the zones of where you can go versus where you can't. But then they change their mind throughout the weekend without letting people know. That's when it gets a bit silly. And I think fans are just getting bored now of half of these races being determined or decided by track limits or half the talking points like Verstappen's fastest lap being taken away from him because he exceeded track limits. And I'm like, well, yeah, he did. So what? You know, take the fastest lap off of him. It's not a legal lap time. And I've got no problem with that. But you can't, you know, pick and change where you want Mm -hmm. it to or to suit whatever, because then you kind of like turn one, you can't go there. Turn two, you can't do that. Just keep it consistent, guys. And these are the best drivers in the world. So I don't see why they struggle to keep it within the white lines, because what you'll end up with is what we had. I think it was an IndyCar race at the Circuit of Americas a few years ago. I think it was like 2019 or 2018 where the old turn 13, where you, it's, a, it's the left-hander before the final corner and there's that runoff area on the outside, but it's much faster to just keep going wide as you can. And they were literally manipulating that. It was so funny to watch how wide they were going because it opens up the final corner, but it was legal. And in Formula One, if you let the drivers define the limits, that's what you're going to get. You're going to end up seeing laps where they're all just driving across here, driving across there. It's like one of them YouTube videos where they just there's no rules. You just drive all over the place on F1 2020 or something crazy like that. As fun as that would be to see, I don't think that's what really the fans would want. They just want something consistent and, you know, challenge these drivers. That's what they paid the big money for. Um, rant over. You know, I could go on for ages, like an, showing my age here, just ranting on like a grumpy old man. 
But um, yeah, let us know what you guys think about track limits and that. Um, as fun a topic as it is, hopefully whatever this working group decides will provide some clarity and more importantly, consistency on the rules so that we'll be talking about track limits a lot, lot less than we currently do right now because I don't think anyone enjoys talking about this particular thing. Um, but that's pretty much all the time that we've got for this one, actually. We've got quite a lot in, a lot of news to cover. Thank you, Lee, of course, for joining us once again and offering your insight. No problem. Thank you for having me. And as always, Courtney, thank you for offering your expertise as well on these topics. Always a pleasure, mate. And it's always good having you on, Lee. You're always welcome to come back whenever you please, mate. All right. Thank you very much, Courtney. We need to get you a DNF1 shirt. You might as well be part of the team anyway. (laughs) Not enough. But uh, that being said, guys, of course, there's so many topics going on, but let us know what you think of those. And of course, if you have enjoyed this discussion, please, please do like the episode. The, you know, the likes that you give us on YouTube, they're really, really helping uh, get our content out to plenty of people that obviously don't get to see it because they don't know much about us. Of course, it allows us to be exposed to the world of YouTube and of course helps to bring more people into the discussion and of course allows more people to enjoy our great content which we really enjoy making for you and of course please consider subscribing to the channel we're really really grateful for everyone that has subscribed so far and there's plenty of room for this DNF1 family to keep growing and growing into the millions hopefully one day probably a bit ambitious but you never know I want that gold plaque on the back of my wall I'm sure I should, we'll get one for everybody how about that we'll say YouTube yeah we've got Cults. a million we've got a million hosts on this channel we'll send one out to everybody I'm sure YouTube won't mind um, <laughs> but that being said guys as always thank you so much for tuning in stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 podcast which will be the Monaco Grand Prix preview so until then take care see you soon Podcast Network.